Welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Erica. I'm Sarah. And I'm Steve. So this week we are starting our Lenten series. And what better in Lent, on our way to the cross, to talk about atonement theories. So um, maybe that phrase, atonement theory, doesn't ring bells for anybody. And that's okay, because it's one of those phrases that doesn't show up in the Bible. And you only get to if you're going to wade into deep uh, theological uh, heady volumes. But in a sense... All followers of Jesus for 2,000 years have been talking atonement or, or basically answering the question, why did Jesus die? Because the Bible seems to be really like, it, it hits hard that the New Testament is clear on, Jesus died for us, Jesus died for like There's like this recurring refrain, Jesus died for us, Jesus died for us. But, okay, how, why, what, what does that mean? Um, and trying to come up with answers to that is basically our armchair theology of the atonement. In other words, what is Jesus' death mean or do? How does it do anything? And we're going to spend a little bit of time in the coming series talking about different ways that Christians and church folk have answered that question over the last 2,000 years and maybe uh, take a little bit of a look at uh, how each of those different answers works or where they come from, right? And I think something important is while there's multiple answers to this, it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that one's right and the others are wrong. Right, right, right. Or that a couple of them are right and then the rest of them are wrong. Right. I think at some level, all of them have clearly some biblical basis to them. And so there's some truth there. And some of them, you know, as with a lot of theology, kind of get off the rails if you you push the analogy a little too far. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as, as we talk about these things and, you know, in my own research as I've been rereading about all this, I realized, oh, I like this about this one, and I like this about this one, and I'm still struggling. Okay, well, what then is my personal, you know, idea of the atonement? Yeah. My personal understanding of it. Yeah, the hope is that as we talk about these, because this was definitely true for me, is that as we talk about each one, to for you to be able to recognize, oh, yeah, I have heard this before. I, this... This does make sense, and then, you know, we talk about the next one, and, oh, yeah, this also makes sense. This is also from the Bible. This is also talked about in church. Um, You know, depending on your denomination and your faith background, one of them you might put more weight on than the others. Um, I know that's certainly true for me, but... um, yeah, they should all hopefully sound a little bit familiar. And in other words, all of this, all of our conversations for this series, for this whole Lenten journey, uh, is um, different ways of unpacking, getting deeper into what it means to say that Jesus died for us. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, really, this, this, uh, all, I think maybe all the theories, all the different ways Christians and theologians have talked about it, boil down to these are different ways of talking about the way God has loved us and, and that God has come to us and done mm-hmm. something for us at the cross. So, as much as this can get abstract or difficult like keep to, to keep the, the view from 30,000 feet is this is ways of talking about how we've been loved mm-hmm. uh, and that, that when when you when you realize you've been loved uh, in life it's worth sort of spending just a little bit of time like thinking about wow this is this is how much somebody loves me that they're willing to do this or this or this or this and to sort of unpack how, how is it that God has loved us what does it mean that God has sent Jesus and what is the cross then all about because while atonement theories might be that big theological term, yeah. even Jesus died for us is one of those churchy phrases yeah. that those outside the church might not completely understand. They hear us talk about it, they hear us say it, and we all kind of think we know what we mean right. by that. But those outside the church will be like, okay, but what, you know, they don't get that. They've right. never been taught that. And so hopefully this will help 
unpack both yeah. of those phrases. And even so that each of us then in our conversations, you know, when, when we when we uh, have that those elevator speech moments, you know, to get to tell mm-hmm. to share our faith with somebody else or somebody else, hey, I hear you go to church, like what's the Jesus thing all about or why do you wear that cross around your neck or whatever? Um, there's a way of just not just saying, Well, let me read the entire Gospel of John to you, but you know, here's the shorthand that this is what the story's all about. Um, and, and maybe that's a, a good place to start is that like in the rest of our uh, daily life conversations, it's pretty rare to talk about somebody dying for somebody mm-hmm. else. And maybe um, the handful of times, like, you know, are we talking about, you know, uh, someone who uh, dies and gives their organ to somebody else or an organ transplant? Is it like a soldier who dies? Is it like Saving Private Ryan? You know, the mm-hmm. soldier dies so that Matt Damon's character can go back home. Uh, you know, what does it mean to say that Jesus died for us? Because there aren't a whole lot of everyday situations where that kind of thing happens that we can immediately latch on to. And when, whether it's biblical writers or later Christians and theologians try to find ways to talk about it, they reached for images and metaphors from their own world, some of which come out of the biblical story itself, like the sacrificial lamb or the Passover lamb, and some of which came from the cultures that they lived in. Um, we may somewhere along the way get to talk about, I think Augustine had this cool image of the cross like a mousetrap. Um, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but... Um, that each of those images are ways of trying to, to get across like what it means to say Jesus died for us in ways that other people can understand. Oh, I get it, because I get how a mousetrap works. Oh, I get how a sacrificial lamb works. Okay, I, and now I get what Jesus is all about then. Um, and that idea of multiple pictures, I think, is important, because it means that each one of them, as we take a look at these different ways of talking about the atonement, about what happens at the cross, we can take a look at where are their strengths in each of them mm-hmm. and where do each of them break down. I, I've been thinking, because I'm a total nerd, I'm just going to own it, uh, <laughs> since we started talking about doing a series like this about um, Isaac Newton um, in my like high school physics class, that like if I remember right, when Newton was uh, working on his <clears throat> theories of gravity, you know, uh, he assumed that gravity is sort of like the force of like a, a string that sort of two, pulled two objects, and that was uh, the, the formulas he came up with worked for gravity on Earth. Einstein comes along 400 years later and goes, "No, no, no! It's more like a curve in space-time." <clears throat> and uh, what Isaac Newton said was right if you're limiting yourself to Earth. But when you take a look at a wider view or other weird phenomena like black holes and galaxies and things like that. <clears throat> Einstein's picture doesn't work anymore. It's not complete. It's accurate if you're just limited talking about apples falling down to Earth, but it doesn't work for quasars and black holes and such. Uh, and I think in similar way, we'll find out that there are places where atonement theories, like this picture works within this setting, but um, it breaks down if you put, like you said before, if, the met- if you push the metaphor too far, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it stops working. And so we need to have other pictures, other ways of talking about it. And I think, you know, again, we're trying to put words um, and understanding to a concept that's so much bigger than what we can mentally grasp from this side of eternity. You know, I, I think uh, I can kind of compare it to the Trinity. You know, when we try to make up analogies and metaphors to explain the Trinity, they all break down because nothing's going to be able to describe the Trinity in, in full yeah. until we meet Jesus face to face and get to experience the Trinity. But, and that's the same with these, you know, these are us as finite humans trying to put words to an infinite uh, moment in time that changed all of eternity. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe too, this, this could be similar to the way Jesus tells 
parables across the mm-hmm. Gospels, <clears throat> and how often Jesus will say right at the get-go, this is a parable about how the kingdom of God and the reign of God works, but he doesn't just say there's only one story, there's only one image, this is the only way to think about the mm-hmm. kingdom of God, but it'll be like, okay, here in this setting I want you to think about yeast or salt, and here in this setting I want you to think about this, and th- that you don't have to pick and choose, like... Um, Sometimes, sometimes uh, to be honest, religious folks have this way of saying, well, it's either or, you have to pick, you know, no, sometimes, in fact, a lot of times in serious, honest faith, it's both and, mm-hmm. uh, and all of, in particular, in the tradition that Sarah and I come from as Lutherans, we tend to be like big on paradox, that instead of either or, there's a lot of both and, uh, and maybe, I, this is, this is maybe my Lutheran bias, I think like, that's like, um, woven into the fabric of the New Testament itself, the, in the Bible mm-hmm. itself, is a lot of paradox both and instead of either or. So that as, as we take a look at, some people say, well, you know, the, Jesus dying on the cross is like um, uh, a ransom being paid. And other people, oh, it's, it's more like an example of love. And other people say, no, it's like more like Jesus paying a sacrifice. The, it, ultimately, we're not going to have to say, you only can pick one because only one is the right mm-hmm. one, but more like these are all helpful. And that they are not just meant to be head knowledge, but are meant to, to do something that, tr- that changes us, that transforms us as well. And just like Jesus didn't just tell parables to give us um, mental pictures of what heaven is like, but to change how we act and live and see the world and God's uh, relationship to the world, um, any of the ways the Bible talks about atonement, um, the New Testament is interested in trying to say, so how does this change you as well to be a follower of Jesus to live in light of that, I guess. All right, well, may- maybe it would be helpful for us to like begin to unpack one of these as a starting point, do you think? Should we talk about them in general? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. First? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh, there are three really big ones. Um, and then from those three, there are, you know, sub-atonement theories as, like, people were wrestling with, okay, well, what does this one look like? Uh, but the big three are um, Christus Victor, uh, Moral Influence, and Penal Substitution. Okay. Should we talk about uh, at least briefly what each of those words mean? Because yeah. one of them is even in Latin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> For sure. Let's talk about them. All right. Well, uh, pick, pick one. Where, where where do you want to start, Sarah? Let's start with the Latin one. All right. Christus Victor. All right. Uh, so Christus Victor is Latin. If you couldn't figure it out, for Christ the Victor, or sort of the cross as God's victory uh, over sin and death and the devil, that kind of thing. Uh, and so maybe uh, counter to other ways of talking about the atonement like it's about satisfying some need for God's justice. Christus Victor is more like the enemy is sin, death, the devil, evil, something like that, mm-hmm. and that the cross is Jesus' way of defeating those powers. So it's sort of a cosmic battle sort of a thing, but not cosmic battle where Jesus breaks out an army and kills his enemies, but where cleverly Jesus dies for his enemies. Yeah, this one... Um is a very Lutheran atonement theory in my head because, um, you know, in this fight against death, only Christ can actually fight and win. If I, my, you know, puny human self, attempted this, I would fail. So this is very Lutheran in the sense that this is something that God does. This is something that Christ does. This is something I cannot do. So it's Christus Victor. It, it, it's, uh, to me, like, um, to borrow a really, really rough um, uh, pop culture reference, um, I'm a huge fan of Batman movies, and in the second of the Christopher Nolan Batman movies where Keith Ledger plays the Joker, there's this part where the Joker wants to get caught because once he's caught from the inside, he can 
get away with something or blow something up. I mean, do jokery kind of stuff. But there's this, whole, this, there's this whole trope. A whole bunch of movies in the early 2000s were doing this, where the bad guy got caught and the, the good guys are all dusting off their hands going, ah, we caught him. And it turned out the bad guy wanted to get caught because they're in the heart of the... Uh, uh, you know, police headquarters, whatever, is what they could, you know, do more nefarious things. And in a sense, like, the Christmas Victor model, sort of, uh, the powers of evil, death, death and the devil and sin, all think, ha, we're going to destroy Jesus, we'll show him. And Jesus like, fooled you, I actually wanted to get caught because this is the way I'm going to save the world. Um, so this is where, uh, actually, Augustine comes up with the image of um, uh, the mousetrap, where Jesus is the bait in this divine mousetrap, and evil and sin and death and are, are the mouse that gets caught thinking, ah, I'm going to eat this cheese, mm, delicious cheese, and it gets caught in the trap that is sort of God's design all along. Um, it's not about paying a debt to anybody, it's more about how do you defeat the powers of evil um, that ultimately Jesus defeats them by getting swallowed up by them and like blowing them up from the inside kind of thing. So, yeah, you can, you can picture, you know, Luther and, and that sort of like our cosmic victory, I also picture Heath Ledger as the Joker. <laughs> Well, as you describe that, Steve, I'm thinking of an old um, Carmen song. Carmen used to be an old Christian artist. Right. Um, did a lot of story songs, and there was one about how, um, like, Christ and, and Satan are in a boxing match. Right. And it looks like Satan has punched him out, and he's mm-hmm. down for the count. Right. And the count starts, but it starts backwards. It's ten, nine, eight, and Satan's freaking out because, wait, you're going backwards. You're supposed to be counting up to ten, not down to ten, and all of a sudden Christ comes back. Um, so that's, I'm not a Batman fan, but that's what I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Carmen song from the early... Yeah. But, late 90s, early 2000s. Like, you're on the same vibe. There yeah. are ways that, that, again, it's not just it's not just superhero movies and like, 1990s Christian <laughs> uh, story songs go. But, like, there's biblical roots for that idea mm-hmm. of the cross is about God's victory, uh, and it's about sort of God through Christ fighting the powers of evil. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, like, that's not the way every Atonement 3 talks about it. So, like, give, give us a, a contrast. So, it's a different one of those three. Uh, the other one? Um, yeah. So, like, moral influence. Okay. Um, is, I think, in a lot of our theology, um, but again, we put different weight on it depending on our mm-hmm. background. So, moral influence is that Jesus is a teacher, a moral teacher, and we are followers of Jesus, the teacher. And so, Jesus teaches us good morals, like mm-hmm. how to treat each other, you know, that... What's the golden rule? Um, do unto others as you would have them do unto others. I've heard that before. Somebody yeah. wise said that. Yeah, yeah, I think Jesus said that, <laughs> who is our moral teacher. So this might also have roots, too, in uh, when Jesus says to his disciples in the upper room in John, um, you know, no greater love is anyone than to lay down his life for my friends, and then he commands his disciples, now you're supposed to love one another as I have loved you. That... That whole paragraph, that whole upper room discourse, Jesus doesn't get into talking about, I'm going to die for your sins to pay the penalty. Jesus says, I'm laying down my life to teach you how to love. And again, so there are biblical roots to going, oh, so Jesus lays down his life and that shows us what real love is. And when you see that kind of love, you're moved to love other people the same way. And this is how God saves the world is by sort of moving our hearts, that kind of a thing. So again, like, totally different. You don't have to have Heath Ledger and Joker makeup at all for that picture. You just have <laughs> Jesus shows us what love is. In some ways, this is like Jesus as martyr, of like Jesus sort of is the one who dies for the cause, and we can die for the cause too. We're a part of the same cause as well. But it doesn't require saying that um, uh, there, there's enemies that get defeated in a battle. It's not quite battle imagery, and it's not necessarily paying a debt or taking a punishment. It's more like... He lays his life down, so we lay our lives down, too. Is that mm-hmm. the, the gist? I think so. Uh, this one I like the most to combine with 
other atonement theories. Like, I, you know, in a sense, we do that with all of them. But moral influence, I, it doesn't answer the question for me, why did Jesus die mm-hmm. for me? You know, like, it just doesn't quite answer that to my satisfaction. So this one, I think, is a good, it's good theology, mm-hmm. but it doesn't fully answer the question. So it doesn't stand alone. It's not sufficient no, as an answer. I don't think this one, for me, would ever be able to stand alone in the way that Christus Victor could. Okay, okay. Um, you know, but that being said, I still like the third one as well, so I wouldn't ever just say Christus Victor for me, nothing else, because penal substitution, I think, also makes a lot of sense, and makes a lot of sense with Christus Victor and moral influence. Mm-hmm. Well, all right, you've, you've uh, opened that can of delicious worms, so tell us, okay, penal substitution, what, what's the gist there? Give us the overview. Penal substitution, I think, is great, and there is a lot of, like, subcategories for this one as people try to wrestle with this in different ways. But the basic gist is that um, I am a sinful human being, Jesus is sinless, has not sinned, and yet Jesus took my place on the cross in death and in doing so took my sins and died for them is the basic, basic gist. And then, you know, you kind of can break it down in a couple of different ways about, you know, uh, why and how, you know, kind of the nitty gritty. But mm-hmm. that's the basic gist is that Jesus took my sins for himself and paid the price essentially mm-hmm. for my sins so that I don't have to pay them. And you, you've already sort of uh, tipped your hand there that sometimes um, penal substitution uses almost financial language, paid the price, like paid yeah. a debt that wasn't that, that I couldn't pay. And sometimes it uses more like criminal justice language, like Jesus bears the punishment or the wrath or something mm-hmm. like that, that someone had to go to jail or someone had to be punished, so Jesus steps in and takes the punishment that should have been ours or something like that. Um, and as far as where are biblical roots for that, I mean, you could say that anytime the Bible makes comparison to Jesus and like a, a sacrificial lamb or something mm-hmm. like that, they're sort of like, oh, okay, I get it. Like the imagery in the Hebrew scriptures was the lamb is offered up for the sins of the people or something, so Jesus is like the new sacrificial mm-hmm. lamb. So like you can you can get sort of that that uh, where that idea would come from. Well, even Isaiah fifty three, the suffering servant mm-hmm. chapter, mm-hmm. you know, and all that kinds of kind of foreshadows yeah. to Jesus on the cross in this level in this idea of atonement. Yeah. Although t- to be honest, one of the things that is Difficult, but good difficult for me about Isaiah 53. Uh, it's one of those suffering servant passages where it talks about he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Is that even there, the prophet doesn't stop and say why that exactly was necessary. Just sort of like, yeah, he did it for us. He, he took, he, he mm-hmm. bore the punishment. But like, there's no, like the, the question the atonement wants to ask is, why was that helpful? Or like, why was that necessary? Um, and I'm not even sure that Isaiah 53 answers that. It's just sort of like, mm-hmm. here's, this, here's this vision of someone who offers himself in place of the whole or in place of the other. And all the various uh, atonement theories that we're looking at or, or will look at are ways people try to answer the question, okay, why was that necessary? Or mm-hmm. why was that, what did exactly did that accomplish? And maybe your point earlier, Sarah, about why like the moral influence uh, theory feels like it doesn't stand alone on its own is it's hard to say that uh, Jesus had to die just to teach us what love looks like. That mm-hmm. you could say there's lots of ways to show people love. You know, like, make the grocery run at three in the morning because we're out of milk, that, you know, well, like, you know, there's lots of ways to show people love. Dying, dying in somebody, why is that the necessary, you know, uh, uh, step you have to go to? And yet, 
plenty of biblical writers, including like that one mm-hmm. you mentioned from Isaiah, talk about the the importance of like the, the suffering and death is sort of part of what this is all about. That that's that's uh, where the atonement somehow happens or resides or something. Okay, so. Uh, We've talked broadly about each of those three, and and Mm -hmm. in coming episodes, we're going to be spinning out uh, maybe some of each of these, um, and maybe in depth where they come from biblically, uh, what are strengths of each of them, what are maybe uh, important voices in the life of the church to know who you know said this or wrote this, that kind Mm -hmm. of thing, Um, and then maybe where where do each of these pictures sort of break down too, or where are there limits to how they, they picture things, because each of them. Uh, even the ones we sort of broadly talked about so far, basically sort of sketch out a picture. The cross is, if it's moral penal substitution, if Jesus is the innocent who suffers as the you know for the criminal, he's the one who pays the debt that wasn't his, uh, or Jesus is the one who fights the battle by dying. And these are all images or metaphors, and we'll talk about each of them where they have strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Sounds good. All right, well... Um, Wait, I have something oh. I want to close with because I've been staring at this the, like the entire podcast. Nito Bay Nito. It is a poem that is on this giant poster board canvas thing um, on Pastor Steve's youth room wall, which is where we are, um, that is titled, Grace Takes Our Place. And I like this poem because it kind of encompasses all three atonement theories that we briefly touched on today. So it's God's not a cosmo cat lady. Oh, that's really. that should be cosmic. That's a, cosmic? that's a long story. Okay. Yeah, you have to you have to join my confirmation class to understand why we say God's not a cosmic cat All right. lady. God's not a big cosmic cat lady. Really, He did not need us. We are all here because He loves us. Even though we sin, He teaches us and helps us. Keeps His word close to our hearts, even though sin sometimes overpowers us. And all of us deserve to die. All of us can have this gift. Redemption is our gift. Put God first in your life. Love your friends and enemies. Always remember Christ died for our sins, so eternal life can be ours. Well, there you go. That that was wisdom from one of our uh, eighth grade confirmation students a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, yeah I've been distracted by it like the entire time we've been talking. <laughs> well, so uh, let me just say, even though this is slightly off topic, the reason that the opening of that paragraph or that poem is God's not a big cosmic cat lady, uh, that becomes our shorthand in our confirmation class for saying that God... Um, doesn't love the world because of God's neediness. That it's not like God needs someone to love and says, I'm so lonely, I need to make a universe to love. But that our existence is grace, not that we're fulfilling some sort of like emotional need in God's world or something. And uh, so that's why the beginning of that otherwise very, very clear poem, that's sort of a confirmation class inside joke. <laughs> but relevant, I think, in our conversation here too, is that I think uh, when we talk about why Jesus died, that this is all the ways that the biblical writers have talked about it, um, are about ultimately this is about a gift for human beings, not mm-hmm. out of God's neediness or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it's not God as the band cheap trick, I want you to want me, I need you to need me kind of a thing. And this is not about God's neediness, but about God's goodness, so that God sees a world in, in danger uh, and rescues rather than God saying, I need attention, I'll send Jesus, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. All right, well, all right. Any other final thoughts or things we want to read off the walls while we're here? I don't have anything on why I want to read. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the accordion dividers. Yeah. It's not terribly interesting to look at. 
Well, um, we invite you to join us for future conversations in coming episodes this Lent. And we, we do kind of intentionally hope that you may join us for this whole series because, like, like Sarah said at the beginning, we're beginning this season that many in uh, Christianity observe as a season that's meant to sort of get us focused back on the heart of our faith and that it's good news about what God has done for us to save us. And so it's less about um, just wallowing in guilt or wallowing in feeling rotten, uh, but more about being moved to hear about the, the depths and the length of what God has done for us. So if, if this is a helpful accompaniment on your journey, we hope you'll join us next time. See you guys. Bye.